The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, cartoon from the Italian cartone and the Dutch word carton, meaning strong or heavy paper or pasteboard, the 10 favorite animated, I say cartoon because I'm old, movies of all time, as far as the three of us or five of us, depending how many there are, are concerned. Stay tuned. It's going to be a bumpy ride. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the bonus. My <laughs> goodness, he added the us on the end of it. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to a bonus issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Some people bonus, have asked you know us. What's really interesting about that. What's that? There's a barbecue restaurant here in town that used to have a sign that said, fall off the bone, baby back ribs. <laughs> and they put a space at the end of baby. So the sign said, fall off the bone, baby. Back ribs. Back ribs. <laughs> you are number six. <laughs> I swear to God. I will. Uh, hey, everybody. No. Hey everybody. Suck. This time around, we are going to uh, talk about our top ten uh, favorite movies of all time at this moment, which could change in a few years. You never know, so don't let this be hours. Don't I've let this be a definitive uh, list for you. But I think there's some good things on the list, and I think we'll just go round robin and uh, mention ours and talk briefly about why it is on our list. And then we've also asked a couple of other major spoilerites. We've asked Scroll Brian and uh, Marlo Lewis to drop off their picks. If and, that is his <laughs> real name. And we will be looking at those later in the show as well. So who wants to go first in this uh, cacophony of, uh, of, of, of movies? Cacophony, cacophony, yep. you border on the Adriatic. You go what? first, Steven. All right, I will go uh, first, and then we'll hit Matthew, and then we'll hit Rodrigo, and then we'll just hey, you cycle through. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm starting at the bottom Rodrigo. of my list. Number 10, brand new movie. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Up. Pixar Disney's Up. Man, this is a heart-wrenching story. It is. This is. I don't know if this is a movie for kids, but it is a, it is a sad, lonely tale that has a little bit of redemption at the end. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, is a sad, lonely tale about sad, lonely people. <laughs> a little. Why little... would? You... Go ahead. Why would you feel any type of kinship with? Oh, no. Here's the story <laughs> about this this guy who meets the the girl he's destined to be with. They meet when they're like six years old or something, and they spend their entire lives together. And they're always wanting to venture down to South America to this uh, plateau that their favorite adventurer goes on. And as the first 10 minutes of the movie progresses, the first 10 minutes, they go from six-year-olds to octogenarians, and she dies, and he realizes they never were able to complete their dream together, and he's heartbroken and crestfallen, and the city changes around him until the city is ready to, you know, essentially bulldoze his house in order to put up uh, a skyscraper. This house that he and his wife rebuilt by hand. Mm-hmm. It's their love nest, their love mansion. They love each other. And he's like, screw it. I'm going to carry out my, my wife's final wish to go live on this mountaintop. And he inflates a million zillion balloons and goes flying off into South America. 
And along the way, he meets a talking dog, a little uh, Asian uh, uh, boy scout, mm-hmm. and a really turns turns out to be even crazy maybe ass a, ostrich. Yeah, crazy ass ostrich named Kevin, and quite possibly the ruining of his childhood when he realizes that his childhood hero is a real bastard. Yeah, and it's got an even more touching ending. If you if you've got a dry dry eye when you watch this movie, you're a cruel hearted bastard. <laughs> <laughs> what if your childhood bastard was a true hero? Well. If, if it's if it's uh, Woodrow Wilson or uh, or FDR, then you know or there you go. Slater. <laughs> see Slater. So that's my number ten, Matthew. Hi. What do you got How on your you? number ten? Very good, thank you. <laughs> my number ten is the Halloween Tree, which is, is based about? on. It's a, based on a Ray Bradbury novel that I read when I was very young, and I really, really loved it. And the imagery of it stuck with me. It was my first introduction to uh, the the Mexican Day of the Dead, the Dia de los Muertos. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it had such vivid descriptions of all of these things. And it wasn't, I mean, it it, it basically travels through time, space, and dimension Mm -hmm. following these these kids. Essentially, what happens is they find that one of their friends is somehow lost in time. Ooh. And he may be dying. Oh. So it's all about, you know... the mortality of, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 year old kids. Yeah. And it deals with death and Halloween and, you know, dealing with cultural notions of death and what happens in between or around it. And it gets to the end and it has just a haunting ending to such a beautiful ending. But when they made the movie of it, one of the characters, kind of the central character is this mysterious Mr. Mound Shroud. And Mr. Mound Shroud is voiced by seen? Spock, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, cool. With that, you know, gravelly, deep kind of, I'm Leonard Nimoy by a Chrysler voice. I have and always will be your Halloween tree. Exactly. Kirk. And, it, I mean, the ending is just Ooh, haunting. Bro. What happens is it turns out the kid is going to die. Ah, oh, poor kid. So all of the other kids give a year of their life to save his. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's really interesting, but it's just very strange. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the animation on it is not exactly the greatest in the world, but the story is strong enough to really carry it. Is it better than Rankin-Bass? Oh, yeah. I love Rankin-Bass, however. I noticed you did not put uh, The Hobbit on your list, though. I did not, and I almost, I came this close to putting Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Oh, you know, that technically qualifies as an animated film. I'm also surprised that nobody put uh, on all of our lists, nobody put The Phantom Tollbooth. Never seen it. What, what, I what? didn't care for it as much. <laughs> I don't care for it at all either. <laughs> I love, I love the uh, the animation. God, who is that? That's uh, Chuck Jones. Yeah, and Jones does really great stuff. I love his facial expressions. I love what he does. But the, the Phantom Tollbooth never sang to me the way some of the other movies did. Yep, Rodrigo, what do you got on your uh, number ten? My number ten is uh, through a scanner darkly. Now see this one, I. I've seen I wouldn't it. call that an animated it, movie. But it is an animated movie. It is a process where they went through and essentially hand not really hand painted, but computer painted on each cell of the film. Well, Very hand, much like a I mean, Rankin Bass kind yeah. of uh, you know, tracing the the stuff that you film kind of thing. It's, you really think there was actual film involved, that there were any cells? No, no, not actual cells. I think it was I mean, it's fully digitalized. Yeah, but I mean there, that counts on the list. Up counts on the list. It wasn't drawn. Would it? But through a scanner darkly, I, yes. I after I thought about it, I, I said, yeah, you know what? This is actually an animated film, and it's a trippy film. It is. Uh, hilariously enough, one of the big reasons why I like uh, Through a Scanner Darkly is uh, 
what's his name? Rory Calhoun. I don't know what his name is. Keanu Reeves, or are you talking about? No, 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 no. The, there's there's this guy at the beginning who is like tripping balls. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, there's an adult tag, um, <laughs> which I'm rarely the one to get. Uh, and just that first one where like the radio is describing what right, is right, going on in his on. head, and he's yeah. covered with bugs, and he's like flipping out. Yeah. And this the the movie has just started, so you're trying to get used to this this style. And I just watched that. I watched the movie all the way through, mm-hmm. and then I went back and watched that scene again. Yeah. And then I went back and watched it again. I mean, it's just really it's so intensely weird. Yeah, Keanu Reeves and uh, Robert Downey Robert Jr. Downey Jr. at well, a low uh, Winona, point in his life. Winona Ryder. Isn't David Cross in that movie? David, yeah, David Cross. Cross is in there too. Yeah, it is trippy Philip K. Dick stuff. I tell you what, my wife tried to read the book. Before she watched the movie, and she got like halfway through the book, and was like, I don't think I can mm-hmm. enjoy this book. And she hasn't watched the movie yet, but I said, watch it all the way through, wait till the end, wait till the reveal, and then you'll go, aha, Philip K. Aha! Dick, you got me there. You got me again, Philip K. Dick. All right, thank aha! you. Thank you for that, number 10, Rodrigo. Number nine on my list. Who number framed, nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Another, And you know, I've got a lot of Disney ones on this list, but who framed Roger Rabbit I thought was just brilliant in what they were doing at the time. Now, there have been times where they would animate a character with a live-action hero, Jerry Mouse and um, and Dancing Man. Who was that? Uh, uh, Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done that many times before, uh, Daffy Duck and, and Mel Blanc or whoever. Uh, but this is one where they actually had the characters interacting in the environment. So if Eddie grabs Roger Rabbit by the ears and Roger bumps into a stack of plates, those plates fall off the table and mm-hmm. crash on the floor. Uh, and I just thought that that was a brilliant piece of, of technology at the time oh, yeah. to do that. Today, well, no, I, forget at the time. I mean, that still today, that movie you think? holds today. Yeah, yeah, it still holds I watched up. It, I watched it a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, okay, I can see where you had some wires where you were holding the dummy rabbit here and I can see the little part of the arm where baby Herman was shaking his cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's still a great movie and it's one that I watched nonstop when I was a freshman in college. Had that on VHS uh, and probably wore, yes. wore the thing out. Yes, you did. I did. Matthew, what do you got on number nine? I'm surprised at this one. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine. Titan A.E is my number nine. I love Titan AE, and I wanted to hate it. I wanted to go in going, oh, you suck. But a couple things actually sold it for me. Uh, The primary one was the dialogue of people involving possibly Joss Whedon. (laughs) Because the dialogue is really well done. Yeah. And, I mean, it's a very – it's got a lot of, you know, Star Wars and iconic piratey elements to it, and the dialogue is nice, and – the main character, uh, voiced by Matt Damon, mm-hmm. starts out as your <laughs> Matt standard Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Starts out as your standard devil-may-care schmucko and ends up realizing that he does care about the human race. And it gets to right. the end, and it has a deus ex machina moment that works. One of those things where it's like, oh, well, that's lucky. I wonder if they planned that all along. They mm-hmm. must have. Let's move on. But it's uh, it was interesting for me in that it's probably one of the last movies that I remember seeing that had a lot of hand-drawn animation-y things. Mm-hmm. Seems like anymore everything is like 3D computer imagery generated. Right. But this one had, you know, traditional drawn characters. It uh, has the voice of Drew Barrymore in her lisp. <laughs> and it has a really fascinating and awesome sequence that doesn't make any sense where they're fighting – the, the two spaceships are battling, 
in a, a stellar ice field. Right. And it works as kind of like a hall of mirrors, and they're trying to find each other. Right. And it, it combines computer animation with this regular cell animation throughout this, and it, it's a fascinating thing. And then you get to the end, and, of course, they name the new planet Bob, which cracks <laughs> me up. Not one of my I, – I just – I watched it in the theater, and I was just like – I guess somewhat disappointed. I like the technical achievements that they were trying to do, but in the end, I was just like, the story's just kind of stumbles, I guess, for me. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the, uh, I didn't like the anthropomorphic animal. Yeah, yeah. Sidekicks, and there were like four of them. So I was like, eh. well, and the thing is that the the sidekicks were all realized by voice actors that I really liked. Right, Nathan right, Lane, right? Uh, Janine Garofalo, John Leguizamo, is wonderful in his delivery. He plays the little bug-eyed guy, yeah. Goon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Leguizamo, Leguizamo does this, this nervous little rabbity voice throughout. And it's it's an achievement for me because you know it's John Leguizamo. But you also understand that the character, it doesn't feel like John Leguizamo putting on a face or the Rugrats school of, I'm going to hold my nose and do a funny voice and call it a new character. Yeah. Nice. You know, they really invest themselves in the character's and Bill, either Bill Pullman or Bill Paxton, who are really the same guy changing their name for tax purposes, <laughs> starts out as this fatherly Han Solo type, doesn't change his diction or his characterization at all, and literally, in the blink of an eye, with nothing more than vocal tone, goes from fatherly Han Solo type to scumbag pirate who would yeah. sell them all up the river. Okay. And I mean, it's, it's, it's all done through... His voice acting, and then the animators provide appropriate facial structure for it. But the fact that it's the voice that sells it really does it for me. Cool. Rodrigo, what do you got for number nine? My number nine, and I don't think I've talked about this movie in the past, you know, you two sure? or three days. Oh, okay. Um, it's <laughs> Princess Mononoke. It's untied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've talked a about Mononoke, this movie Mononoke, isn't before. that a monkey with only one hand? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I... I this, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends are uh, snobs. Really? And they're like, oh, you cannot watch Japanese animation translated. You have to watch the subtitled version. But um, I would tend to agree with you. I, like I said, most of my <laughs> friends are snobs. I grew up uh, in Mexico watching a lot of dubbed Disney animation. Right, and a right. lot of the time, the translators would put their own things into the movie, like their own expressions or very colloquial things. And Princess Mononoke kind of does that, I mean. In the Spanish version? No, or no, no, in, no. The in the English version. Oh, okay. the, the English translation has a lot of weird things that the Japanese tra- that the Japanese version doesn't have or just, that you don't just get out of the subtitles. I mean, um, Jedi Pink... Jedi... Jedi... <laughs> Jedi Pinkett Smith uh, voices one of the characters <laughs> and she doesn't really change... Her, you know, kind of right, right. She's uh, very stoic. Her, yeah, her, her her diction for it. So the the character is kind of essentially a, a black lady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and it comes across that way, even though the character is not black. Um, you know, Dana Scully voices one of the wolves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of interesting choices that were made in the translation, and it's worth watching the English version. If you end up liking the Japanese version better, that's fine. But you should watch the English translation. Just, just to see what Billy Bob Thornton does with a with a stumpy old monk. Mm-hmm. 
Some people call it a stumpy people, old monk. Some people call I it call a giant wolf. <laughs> I call it some kind of demon monster. Mm-hmm. Number eight on my list, South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. I had, I kind of pretty much had my fill of South Park, and I guess in the first two or three seasons that it was on the air. And I thought, oh, they're going to make a movie of it. Eh, it's not going to be that good. And then my uh, friend Dave Nagel said, hey, man, we're going to have movie night tonight. Why don't you come over to the house? We're going to sit down. We're going to watch um, uh, Army of Darkness. We're going to watch Starship Troopers, and we're going to watch South Park. I was like, all right. And I sat down and fell in love with this movie because not only is it the South South Park story, it's amped up to 11, number one. But the other thing that's so brilliant in this is the music. Yeah, it's a great musical. It is a great musical and and is very deserving of the Oscar that it got uh, for Blame Canada. Mm -hmm. And what's great is it's such a mocking parody of every other musical that's out there. And that's why I have it on my number eight list. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's one of those that yeah. every time it comes onto the onto TV, the remote just stops there, and my wife is like, "Oh God, not again!" <laughs> I love it when it comes on Comedy Central uncut at like one a.m. Yes. where you can actually enjoy it. Yes, Matthew, you've got a tearjerker at your number eight. I do. My number eight um, is a movie that I remember greatly from my youth. Yes, yeah, so do I. For three words, no dogs allowed. Snoopy Come Home, and I think it's from like 1972, 73, something like that. Uh, I was going to say 76, but let me look it up. I think it's 72. Let me hit okay. the wiki. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it was, I was very young when I first saw this. It was roughly about the time that I learned to read, so like 1973, 1974. 72, yeah, you're right, 72. Because I, I was reading Snoopy comics. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I actually learned to understand. But basically, the story of of Snoopy Come Home is Snoopy's original owner, a girl named Lila, is horribly sick. Yeah. And Lila wants Snoopy to come keep her company. The implication is that she's going to die. Right. And Snoopy and Woodstock set off on this, this, you know, trek across the country. And wherever they go, they find these horrible no dogs allowed signs. Mm -hmm. And it's the the man who does it is... um, Oh, it's not crud. the same guy that does the. Uh, He's the guy who sang the Grinch in yeah. uh, the Chuck Jones Grinch. Thurl Ravenscroft. I had to wiki it with that deep voice, and I yeah. think he was he was Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger, yes. But at one point, you know, they actually have a little voice go, and that's for birds too. <laughs> but it's just you know, throughout the whole story, it's Snoopy trying to track and find this girl that he loves, and there's actually a moment where. He decides he's going to go live with her, and Charlie Brown and all of his friends have this huge party, and each of them is giving Snoopy a gift, and, and they you know they say something about Snoopy, and Charlie Brown's turn comes to stand up and say something about what he loves about Snoopy, and he can't do it. Yeah, he, he, starts- he just bursts into tears. Yeah. And then Snoopy starts crying, and then everybody starts crying. And Did I'm you like, cry? well, this isn't funny like the like the <laughs> comic strip. Did you cry? I don't remember crying. I, I remember, remember I remember as a, I don't know when I saw this. It had to have been th- when I was three or four, just on the floor going, oh, Snoopy, don't go. Oh, and tears just, home. and my mom was like, it's just a TV show. It's just a TV show. It's okay. It's okay. I'm like, but yeah. Snoopy's going to leave. I can see my son doing this in a few years. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he will too. And it'll yes. be about Titan AE. No, no it'll <laughs> probably be about some about <laughs> Jackie Chan. They can't Earth breathe Daddy. in space. That's illogical. <laughs> <laughs> the plot doesn't make sense, Daddy. <laughs> I want some pie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Matthew's number eight, Snoopy Come Home. Rodrigo, 
right. you changed yours at the last minute, and I, I, you know, I can see that change. I did actually. I, I, I reversed the changes. I want to talk about the other one. Oh, first. okay. All right. My number eight is Fire and Ice, which is Fire this. Fire and Ice. Which is this old like movie plane, based on uh, Frank Frazetta's like barbarian drawings. Yeah. Um. When I first encountered this movie, I must have been nine or ten. And I was like, holy crap, so, everybody's naked in this movie. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> Must have been 93. Okay. Um, I was like, everybody's naked in this movie. Like, yes. there's a naked girl. There's a and naked I guy. Like the it. bad guy's naked. The bad guy's minions are naked. Everybody's naked in this movie. How can this be? How can this be a cartoon <laughs> full of naked people? I think Two this words, was... Ralph Bakshi. This was the very first piece of pornography I ever saw. Really? I think. Okay. Cool. Um, you, uh, I, uh, there's another movie on this on Brian and Matthew's list. Heavy metal. Yeah, I wasn't gonna review it, reveal it, but uh... thanks, Rodrigo. Oh, sorry, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that was it's, kind of the same it's for me. Similar, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I saw, I first saw heavy metal probably about two years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't have the same impact. Oh, impact but okay. when I saw it, and and I. I remember, like, I started watching it, and I, like, went over and, like, turned the lights off, because I was like, if my mom walks in and sees me watching this, she's going to be mad, and I'm not going to get to watch the end of it. (laughs) Oh, fire and ice. Yes. Uh, Number seven on my list, El Dorado, or El Dorado. El Dorado. I I love this movie because it is a Hope and Crosby um, road movie Mm -hmm. in a cartoon world. Set in the early days of exploration when people were searching for the lost city of gold. And here are these two schmoes who get wound up in in saving the city and mm. trying to be greedy themselves. And they go through a, through a process and, and change. And I like this because I thought that the, the music was snappy, mm-hmm. but I really like the change in how they were doing some animation. Right about the same time, Disney also came out with Tarzan. And I forget the process that they used, but they actually have this process where they kind of take the background and they kind of turn it 3D, mm-hmm. but it's still got a cartoony effect and they're able to create this effect like a jungle moving kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they did that really well, I thought, in this movie. And it's one that, you know, I can sit down and watch again and again and again because I just like that that vibe of 1940s and 1950s road movies. And 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 the half-naked native girl. Yeah, and the half-naked na- native girl played by Rosie Perez. Uh, so that's number seven on my list. Matthew, what do you got? The half, the half native naked girl. Yes, woman. It's woman. she could be seventeen. Woman. She could be eighteen. Yeah. Well, let's say she's eighteen. She's if barely she's legal. <laughs> barely legal. The native uh, edition. People, people uh, got I married. Say, I can say days. one word that will tell you my number eight pick. Your seven pick. Whatever. Okay. What number are we? I should have seven. numbered these. Seven. 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 seven, seven. My number seven pick. Can best be described by one word, and that one word is Tetsuo Akira, which ironically is not about, or in this incarnation, <laughs> really has very little, little to, to do, do. Yeah, with a mutant with boy. Akira. Yeah. Um, uh, the the movie, which apparently tells like a third of the story, from what I understand, not even a third, man. Really, it's like it, it's essentially the story of two friends, Tetsuo and Canada. Okay? Canada. Tetsuo turns out to be an incredibly powerful uh, telekinetic capather. 
<laughs> and uh, Canada Tell just uh, kind of gets blamed for stuff. Yeah. Turns out to be an awesome motorcycle guy. Yeah. Yeah, an awesome motorcycle and guy. Tetsuo I love that turns motorcycle. Into, to a giant blue. I always baby. wanted that motorcycle in college before I realized that it was that, impractical. Yeah. It would. It would not only that. Uh, before I broke it, it would have killed me. So it would have really been kind of a race to death. But uh, <laughs> basically, it said after World War Three, World War Three was actually caused by a telekinetic boy named Akira. Yeah. Tetsuo seems to be somehow a rebirth of Akira. I'm not entirely sure. We go through the whole thing. There's lots of fighting. There's lots of fighting. There's there's a, a lot of thing. Um, a lot uh, of tricky Tetsuo, stuff. Yeah, Tetsuo transforms into a giant slug. But baby thing. with tentacles. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's Squeezes all about. Squeezes his girlfriend to death, pops her. And at like the end, uh, Tokyo is blown up and Creole consumed death. by the ocean. And uh, Canada, you know, runs away with two hot chicks. And some soldier guy. Do you remember yeah. when you first saw this movie, Matthew? Yeah, it was in college. Yeah, I, I saw but... it too. Uh, do you remember uh, Takashi and uh, some of those other yeah. guys? Yes. They, they were like, hey, Steven, I, were you, I don't think you were there that night. But they're like, come, come to our room. We've got this movie that... One of the guys had just come back from Japan, and he had something on VHS, and he's like, we're going to watch this movie. And I was like, okay, am I going to understand it? And they're like, well, we'll translate it for you. And so they pop in Akira, all Japanese, and I'm just drawn in instantly just by I have never seen any animation Mm -hmm. like this before. Mm -hmm. And like every five seconds, I was like, so what did he say? So what did he say? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. What did he say? What did that that giant monster teddy bear say? And then they're just like, just wait, just wait. And then they they you know tell me what was going on and I was like man I've got to have a copy of this and yeah. so I went over to uh, to Ron and I said could you make a copy of this this VHS for me he's like sure and the next day I go back and he's like I think there's something wrong with the audio track on this because couldn't understand it sounds really garbled <laughs> and for two years two or three years I would sit down probably about every six months and watch this Japanese unsubtitled version of Akira yeah. just because I was drawn in by the art drawn in by the animation. Not- Beautiful. It is so beautiful. And if you get first the first time I saw it, it was uh, subtitled. Oh, okay. But poorly subtitled. It was subtitled in the uh, uh-huh. "I am he who is the he who is without name" oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. genre. So I didn't even Do bother to want. read it. I just kind of scanned it and got the basic gist of it. Yeah. But it is a gorgeous chunk of film. I gotta tell you. And this was film. Yeah, it was. Yeah, definitely animated by guys with pens. And ink and all Up sorts of glorious paints in the snow. Who are Japanese, so probably samurai. It's yeah. on. It's on Blu-ray. We got it recently on Blu-ray here at the uh, at the Major Spoilers Corporate Headquarters. We may have cool, to you crack should. that out and watch it one of these nights. You may want to have to. Maybe we should watch that and do another anime review episode. Ooh, there you go, Rodrigo. Number seven. Number seven. South Park. Number seven. Number seven. Number seven. Bigger, longer, and uncut. Any because re- I also liked it. Because frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself at a crossroads trying to make a decision, and I think to myself, what would Brian Boitano do? <laughs> what would if Brian he... Boitano do if he were here right now? The songs are great. Um, the plot is great. It actually advances the mythos of South Park. The yeah. South Park oeuvre, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, further seasons after the movie took what happened right, in the, in movie, the movie into mm-hmm. account. It's just, uh, as as the... I mean, it just kind of stands as the center of South Park. There was South Park before this movie right. and, and South, South Park, Park after, after yeah. this movie. And it's got gay Saddam Hussein in hell. Gay Saddam Hussein in hell. Up the gay there! Devil. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs is up there that the devil sings. Yep. It's it's just fantastic in, in almost every way. And, you know, it's it's a fine 
inheritor to the fine tradition of uh, Cannibal the Musical. <laughs> yeah. Um, number six on my list, Beauty and the Beast Disney movie. Um, the reason this, this is actually... Be our guest and this, we'll kill you with the rest. <laughs> this is actually one of three Disney movies that I tried to group together, but this one just fell so far down on the list at number six. It's really good. Number six, number six, number the six. The animation six. is good to a point, but then all of a sudden Belle's face kind of goes kind of fat like she's in early stages of pregnancy for Uh-oh. a couple of scenes. Uh-oh. And then it tries to go back to normal. Uh-oh. And so there's some problems with the animation in certain parts, especially the montage where they're kind of falling in love with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of a very kind of dark movie, mm-hmm. kind of something Disney was trying to do at this time, tell real stories, not just for kids. And I liked it. And, you know, the music was good. I want to talk about the music here in just a little bit. Uh, but Beauty and the Beast, certainly worthy of my top ten list. Cool. Matthew, you've got... My got number six. Da, da, da. We've got the power. No, it's not Boogie Nights. <laughs> what do Eric Idle, Orson Welles, Scatman Crothers, Casey Kasem, Leonard Nimoy, the Micro Machines guy... The guy from Unsolved Mystery and the voice of Shaggy from Scooby Doo all have in common. They're, they're all, all connected. They're all connected to uh, to Kevin Bacon in some way. One shall stand, one shall fall. You've got the touch. The movie that killed Optimus Prime, Transformers the movie. You can mock me all you want, and this is a lame movie in certain portions of it, when the little kid has his little transforming suit. Oh, that's stupid. That's stupid. But I'll tell you something. You take a moment, and you realize, you put yourself in in the the steps, in the the footsteps, the 37-foot-wide steel footsteps of Ultra Magnus at the moment where he's overcome by Decepticons. The Matrix is supposed to light their darkest hour. He can't do it. And for the time ever in the history of the Transformers, he curses, open, damn it, and then gets blown to shreds. Or the moment where Megatron and Optimus Prime have their battle, and this is something else that uh, there's a joke in Clerks about uh, Korean animation studios. Yeah. For some reason, right as they start to fight, the animation style completely changes. And for the battle sequence between Prime and Megatron, it is this gorgeously rendered, wonderful animated stuff. It's like shadows and drama and Optimus Prime, you know, coming to this moment and then getting gut shot by his worst foe and killed, you know, horrifically in this terrible way. And a hero should not die this way in an animated movie. And this is like the first 15 minutes of the film. Awesome. And you, you go on and you on, you get Weird Al Yankovic and you get Eric Idle, you get all this stuff, and, and you get Molly going to bed. <laughs> I was wondering what that was. It's like, <laughs> That's Skype, are you, you calling? <laughs> but more importantly, it's one, of those, it, it's one of those movies that is kind of a cultural touchstone for anybody who was alive. And it is, in fact, the last film that Orson Welles ever did. Yep. Orson Welles died during the production of this movie. So if nothing else... Every time someone mentions Orson Welles, you can say, you know, the last thing he did was uh, Transformers the movie. I've got to say that's a movie that I never watched because I could never get into the Transformers for some reason. Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, a friend of mine was just like into Transformers like crazy, always bringing well, him to school. And I was like, it's a plane that transforms into a robot or it's a robot that transforms into a, a giant gun. It's a floor wax and a dessert <laughs> topping, Steve. Just learn to enjoy. He was, Most he was also, I think the other thing that kind of ruined it for me was he was also into the GoBots. Go-bots. Yeah, GoBots are tools. Yeah. 
But you don't have to know anything about Transformers mythology, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I'm sure there to is. To understand oh, this God, movie, because is. everybody introduced in this movie is new. Oh, okay. Hasbro wanted to sell some new toys, so they kill Optimus Prime. They kill Prowl. They kill Jazz. They kill everybody we know on panel in like the first quarter of the film. Then they introduce these new schmucks. And do they transform they, into dinosaurs, or are these the Beast Bots? The Dinobots were in it. This was um, Ultra Magnus and Blur. Springer, Cup, Hot Rod, RC, who is the only, to date, I believe, the only female uh, Autobot of yeah. note. Bumblebee? Bumblebee was in this briefly. He did not die. Hmm. All right, maybe I'll check that out one of these days. You my should, son, my son is so up. into cars, I bet you he would, he would dig mm -hmm. Transformers. Okay. Rodrigo, what's your, what's your number six? My number six is Monsters, Inc. Very good movie. Very good. There's movie. a sink with a monster in it? Yes. Monsters, Inc. Monsters Incorporated. Yes. We're like Monsters kids. Incorporated. K kids. I D what? S kids. Anyway. <laughs> Rodrigo, that was an old person joke. I I'm sure no. Rodrigo has seen a few episodes of Kids Incorporated. Absolutely not. I think it's got Never Fergie in it. it. Does it? Yeah. Wow. What? I'm pretty like sure. Current Fergie. Fergie. Current Fergie. Nice. Sarah Ferguson. The one from uh, Black Eyed Peas. The Peach. Duchess of Kent? Yeah. No, really? Stacy Ferguson. So why, why do you like Monsters, Inc., Rodrigo? It's, it's great. John Goodman is great. John Goodman and Billy Crystal yeah. combo. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Great comedy. The, the mythology of it is, is, is really weird. Just like all these monsters are real and they're friendly, but they need to scare the shit out of you <laughs> to, to get their energy. It's, it's such an, Pixar, Pixar always goes for these really weird concepts and more often than not gets a fantastic movie out of the deal. Um, the, there's, there's that final or that, that, that last action scene where they're like running, running in and out of doors, closets. Trying to get to Boo. Yeah, trying to, trying to rescue the girl. It's just, it, it's great. I mean, it's so many great ideas. And it, I, I feel that if somebody besides kind of the Disney picture people had uh, had gone into this, you would have gotten something cool where it's kind of like Scooby-Doo and people are running in and out of weird doors right, and right, stuff right. like that. But in here, doors fall off. There's like re reverse gravity moments in yeah, which yeah. the door is like tilting away and the character interacts with it and you're dealing with like two separate points mm -hmm. in space at the same time. It was just a really interesting, really great movie. And they got so much juice, like so much out of that, just that door sequence. Oh, yeah. That alone almost makes the movie. And then if you stay past the credits, you get to see the, the, the musical at the end. Yep. It's like, put that thing back where it came from. <laughs> oh, so help me. Uh, and if you're trying to get your kid interested in physics and you want to talk about parallel dimensions or multi-dimensions, mm -hmm. Monsters, Inc. is a great doorway. Uh, what? Stacy Ferguson, what? Fergie, was on Kids Incorporated from 1984 to 1989. What? What? You're game. using Monsters, Inc. to describe alternate realities? No, parallel universes. Your child is going to be curled up in a ball in the middle of the living room and never is. speak to anyone. He already is. His child's so is your middle wife. name is Jor-El. Yes, my son's middle name is Jor-El. Uh, number five. Kids Incorporated. Number was five. No. Okay. Uh, number five. For me, The Incredibles. Again, people might be going, why is The Incredibles so low on your list? Steven, uh, just because it is. Why did you hear my top four? The Incredibles, a perfect combination of superheroes meets James Bond in a kick-ass art-style design mm -hmm. 
that's evocative of that time period, the 50s and the 60s during that Cold War. This is just a slam dunk movie from start to finish. My wife didn't care for it, surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, if you know my wife. Uh, but we'll she doesn't care and, for everything you like. Well, she should. She doesn't care and for we're anything the wife's you like. <laughs> um, but I just thought the, from the animation to the story to the plot, everything made sense. It was all tied together very well. And it was a superhero movie that had people dying in it, which yeah. was actually very cool as well. So Incredibles number five on my list. Matthew, you've also got another Pixar movie on your list. I do, and it's one of the unusual Pixar films for me, in that yes, the main is. protagonist is a jackass throughout most of the film. Cars. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Matthew show. <laughs> <laughs> now, See, why cars? Why do, why, do you, why, do you have, why do you have cars on your list? Cars is one of those first experiences that my daughter and I were able to enjoy together. Mm. She was able to scream out my red car before she had ever seen the film. <laughs> it was her red car. And yeah. the, a Christmas a couple of years ago, we got her a stuffed Lightning McQueen and we got her the movie and she was just love. Oh, but when you watch this film, it has something that I really think is hysterical in it in that they've thought out at least to some degree what a car oriented world would be like yes which is the problem that i have with the movie well that's the thing about it though that's what's fun about it the hotel is actually a series of little garages right and you know all the cars have their own lives and and one of the characters used to be a great athlete and he won like the the piston cup right which is kind of you know a daytona 500 thing it i mean it takes these and puts them into reality at one point you see jet contrails across the sky that are tire tracks. Right. And at one point they have a, a bunch of little fireflies and their Volkswagen Beetles flying mm-hmm. around and shooting mm-hmm. their lights. It's, I mean, it's just those little things that I crack up at. I and guess- I really enjoy the fact that it doesn't need a lot of explanation as to why these are talking cars. They just are. Deal with it. I, I just got so wrapped up in the, how did these cars freaking involve? You know, it's like, <laughs> how does a car invent a self-serving pump where they just step on the little pedal and the thing comes into their gas tank? How how do you evolve a car from something that runs on gas, which came first, the gas station or the car? Well, and so I got my head all wrapped up in that movie, and it took me so out of that whole car experience that I was just like, fa You know what you need to think of it as? What? A post-apocalyptic society where the disembodied spirits of the thousands of dead humans uh, basically inhabited those things that were most important to them in life. I, I might their be able cars. to see that. I might be able and to see that. And then the cars, using their racial memory of what came before, much like the Flintstones, which is not set in the past but is in fact set in the future. <laughs> not as far in the future as the Jetsons or else we'd be seeing stone versions of flying cars. But it's set in the future to where the people are trying to rebuild society as it yeah. was yeah. using what they have around. That's why the cars have rocks and that's why they have record players powered by you know birds. They're trying to replicate what came before. Yeah. Think of cars as the future of some alternate earth if you had, where the cars are inhabited. I'll just say this, and it's going to piss a lot of people off, and, and it's no offense to Matthew putting it on his list at number five. But if I had a list of 100 favorite animated movies of all time, Cars would be 102. That's because you suck. Well, that's just me. I just I just didn't care for it at all. You know what really sells you know, I can that underst- movie? What's that? 
the Doc Hollywood thing. It, it, yeah. It's essentially the movie Doc Hollywood, but there's a point where Lightning McQueen, who's been a real bastard, right? You know, drives into somebody's uh, garage where he shouldn't be, and he finds not one but three piston cups just sitting there gathering dust, used as as buckets, right? And then a character who he has no respect for comes in and reveals he won the Piston Cup three times, and it's just an empty cup. Son, I was married to Farrah Fawcett. No, he wasn't married to Farrah Fawcett, was he? No. <laughs> You're thinking of Lee Majors. <laughs> that of voice Lee Majors. Paul Newman. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Newman, I think, was married to uh, somebody else. Mrs. Newman. Yeah, there you go. But it's, I mean, it's, it's a good story in a way, with the sole exception of the fact that nothing really happens to make lightning receive his comeuppance. He doesn't really seem to change. He just seems to mute the things that annoy people. Right. Because they annoy people. Right. But it's got a little love story in it, and, you know, it's got a hot little Porsche with a tattoo. <laughs> yes. Uh, Rodrigo, going on to number five for you. Number five. Number five, number five, number five, number five. Another Disney movie. A goofy movie. <laughs> Which Just one? Yep. A goofy movie. The first one. The first one. Which one? Oh, you mean the one the with movie Father Goofy? The yes. Father Son Road Trip. I thought all the trip. Disney movies were goofy movies. Ha ha ha! Hey, quiet you. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> a, a goofy movie. I sat down, and you know, we we didn't really usually go to the movies when I was growing up. Right. We just you know got the got the 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 tape machine VHSs. <laughs> yeah. Um. And, you know, we sat down and I watched it with my dad and my mom says that uh, throughout the whole thing, like my dad and I were just like sitting there watching it and like I would look at him and I would like turn away and he'd like look at me and he'd turn away because it, it's really, I mean, it, it really speaks to kind of that father-son relationship. Right, I mean, right. I was right at that time where, and, and I mean, and this this was me, I wasn't terribly rebellious, but you know, you feel that. You feel that your parents are going to embarrass you at every turn. Right. Um, you feel that you you start to see yourself becoming your parents, yeah, and it is the f- most frightening experience <laughs> in the world. That's why my son is always running away from me at yeah, two years he, of age. He like, freaks out, man. <laughs> and on top of that, it is another great musical. Yeah, it has really catchy songs. It it puts Goofy in the spotlight, and it does something incredible in that it. Uh, develops Goofy's character. Yeah, he's Goofy. He's not the Goof from right. the 1950s, uh, 1940s and 50s Goofy shorts. Exactly. Um, you see the motivation of somebody who is a an incredibly well-meaning and absolute idiot. Yeah. I mean, he... And, and that's it. And and it's a great hook. You get to see um, Big Pete. Right. Uh, which is nice. He's a good kind of counter to, right. to Goofy. Right. Um and it it just kind of creates this weird universe, like this weird suburban universe where Disney characters live. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it just kind of developed that portion of the universe in a really weird way that I really liked. Yeah. Now, so you would consider this your father son, yeah, animated movie. Matthew, do you have a a parent son animated movie? I don't have a son, Steve. Well, no, I mean, you know, Rodrigo had. His father, they they enjoyed the goofy. I don't movie have together. a father. Steve. Well, that's why I was asking. I said parent, <laughs> mother, grandmother. Wow, that's Steve, that's parent. two for two. No, I said parent. I knew exactly what I was asking. I'm, so, I'm sorry. That was just the best moment ever for me. I think I need to take five. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just asking. Do you have that movie where you had this special parental figure? 
that you went to the movie with and you're like, this is something that you remember. Uh, He's not speaking. I I had a crush on the school teacher who showed me my number four pick. Okay. All right. Um, For (laughs) me, my dad and I went and saw Snow White when it was re-released in theaters. Hmm. And I thought that was really cool. Um, While we're at the number five, before we get into our our top four, I thought we'd take a look at Skrull Brian and Marlo Lewis's uh, top picks for Brian. Can I be Marlo? I'll have sure. a beautiful British and how, do, how do we know you're not? Uh, for Brian, number 10 for him was if Curious that George. that is his real name. Number nine was Finding Nemo. Number eight was Monsters, Inc. Number seven, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Number six, The Incredibles. And number five, The Iron Giant. Those are Brian's uh, 10 to 5 picks. Mm-hmm. Nice. Marlo Lewis, a new uh, writer for the Majorspoilers.com website. He also has a list of 10. What do you got there, Matthew? Uh, Marlowe's number 10 choice, Watership Down. Number 9, Song of the South, an interesting choice, something yeah. that's hard to find anymore. Well, unless you're, eight, unless you're in Europe, I will say this. It's readily available in Europe, but not in the right. United States. One that I'm not familiar with at number 8, Howl's Moving Castle. Very good. Uh, Akira, stolen from me at number 7. <laughs> uh, number 6, of course, is Aladdin. Number 5, Heavy Metal. Stolen from me. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out where heavy metal falls on Matthew's list as we move into our top four. Uh, for me, number four is La Puta, Castle in the Sky. Shh, don't say uh, that <laughs> <laughs> I think Rodrigo and I just had the same moment there. No, because My the first mom time... sometimes listens to these, okay? You can't say that. <laughs> That's the actual name of it. <laughs> it is, I guess, if you wanted to make it a different translation, it would be like... Uh, the the Laputans, the uh, Lilliputians uh-huh. from the Gulliver's Travels. That's kind of where it's kind of alluded to. Uh, in the English translation, it's simply called Castle in the Sky. Mm-hmm. I watch this Miyazaki film. I watch this in the Japanese you can't say version. Miyazaki either. <laughs> I watch this in the Japanese <laughs> English subtitled version, and I prefer it much better to the English uh, Vanderbeek uh, version. Yeah. Uh, this is. This is one that mixes fantasy with steampunk and does it in such a way that I can't wait to have my kid watch this this movie. This is one that I'm like, check out these flying little bug machines and check out the adventure. Do it before and, he learns Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Uh, but yeah, no, if you guys haven't seen Castle in the Sky, check it out. I know Disney re-released it in English, an English version, um, what, about five or six years ago. Uh, but I highly recommend it. Matthew, number four, going a little out there. She as showed far me as... her Laputa, and I showed her my <laughs> Miyazaki. Uh, for me, uh, you're going into some uh, heavy um, uh, literary works. Heavy petting. Well, yes and no. Um, my number four choice, I really fell in love with when I had a crush on uh, my uh, one of my high school teachers, uh, a woman named Clark. But neither here nor there. <laughs> and she one had of the an things. If you know what I mean. One of the things that uh, ah, she Matthew's showed. Besides Lord of the Flies and um, another flim that will show up later on the list. But besides that and um, Badar, A Catcher in the Rye. Yeah. One of the books that really held the most meaning for me at that age was Animal Farm. This was an English right. literary class in. Or literary yeah, class it was in, a basic in, English in class, but it was one of those things. It was a small town. Yeah. And a lot of times what we got was shows that they could show us or um, 
things that also had another version. And there's a, right. a version of this, a cartoon version from the 50s yeah. that is very, very good. And oddly enough, seems to have been partially funded by the CIA <laughs> as an anti as an anti communist <laughs> yeah. thing. Nice. Yeah. But uh, basically, it follows the plot of the movie animal or the the book Animal Farm, in which the animals overthrow a farmer and take over. And of course, the pigs, Napoleon the pig specifically, ends up taking over everything and proving that you know sometimes that in this case communism can't work. But uh, throughout, it's got these wonderful moments where, in the book, Snowball, another pig who's uh, supposed to represent vaguely Leon Trotsky, gets run out of Animal Farm and never heard from. Mm -hmm. But he keeps getting blamed for things throughout the rest of the book. Right, yeah. right. The movie adds a scene that I love, even though, you know, part of me says that it's a terrible idea, that shows us what happens to Snowball, or seems to, hmm. when Napoleon's dogs like chase yeah, him, chase down, him down or mm -hmm. killing and eating him. But it's, I mean, it's, it's art style is very old school. It reminds me of some of the old uh, MGM or Disney cartoons that I used to watch in the afternoons mm -hmm. where you'd have just something outre from like 1947 show up for no reason. Really well done, really well acted. I don't know any of the people who acted in it. I don't think I'm supposed to. And it has a, this trippy, trippy ending where the the pigs and the humans kind of merge into the same creature and we we find that you know the other the, that basically the the theory is that the humans and the animals are both the same and we're all pigs really or something <laughs> i'm not i'm not sure what the whole thing's about but it, i mean it really, yeah that's what the bottom line is communism bad really, america good two legs bad four legs good, good. yep but, I mean, you, you go through it, and, of course, there are some liberties taken with the story. Oh, of course. And there are some moments, uh, particularly in the ending, where uh, in the ending of the book, it just sort of ends, whereas the the movie gives us kind of an almost happy ending when the other animals decide to overthrow the pigs. But it's fascinating to watch, and it's a really, really well-done movie. It's one that I wish I had a copy of now that I'll probably go uh, achieve a perfectly legal copy of. I'm sure you will. In in the near future that I might purchase. Excellent. Thank you for that, Matthew. Rodrigo, number four on your list just so happens to be number three on my list. Correct. So we can just transition right into that. Go ahead. Talk about The Iron Giant. Oh, man. What a crazy movie, man. Me, Superman. Me, um, it's like Superman. It's probably like one of the best acted Vin Diesel movies ever. Is he actually? He the is The Iron Giant. Nice. Nice. I did not even know that. Yeah. Um, also starring uh, Jennifer Aniston. Jennifer Aniston and uh, hip hop, or not hip hop, the uh, 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 jazz guy, guy, Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. Hogarth? Who would name their kid Hogarth? <laughs> Hogarth Hughes? This is, is this is a movie, an archetype of a movie that we've seen a lot of times. Right. A, a, an alien or some other critter suddenly finds himself in small town USA this kid befriends him mm -hmm. and the government comes after them mm -hmm. it's it's ET it's uh, that one movie about dinosaurs where the dinosaurs Jurassic were really Park? tiny no movie about tiny dinosaurs tiny dinosaur movie okay um, the land before time no 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 no, no. It's I think it's called the tiny dinosaur movie. all right can let's move away from <laughs> tiny dinosaurs I'm sorry I brought it up <laughs> but it's 
it's done in such a in such a new way because it it doesn't quite demonize the government. I mean, you you kind of see you kind of see the side aggressive of side it's of just, the government. It's just yeah. that one guy, right? He's the who cause is of all absolutely problems. freaking paranoid about things, right? Um, it, it adds that that level in which the the giant is a weapon. He mm-hmm. actually is a weapon, and he's a weapon. He's a weapon for peace in a way. He only triggers when other weapons are right. around him, right? Well, because he got conked on the head on re-entry. Well, no, that's, that's why he doesn't trigger until right, later. Right. When that pops off, yeah. Right. Um, he has amnesia. Right. He's a robot with amnesia. Surrounded by tiny dinosaurs. Surrounded by tiny dinosaurs who are all named after pop stars. <laughs> what do you think, Brittany? I, I, I like this. I like this movie because... No, I like it because it's a good Red Scare movie. Yeah. It is... Here is this unknown entity, probably the Russians, that so are going to nuke us. it actually transitions from my Red Scare Yeah, movie kind of. Then. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a really big fan of these Red Scare type movies. We didn't plan this. No, we didn't. But um, we don't plan what's things. really cool is the FBI agent, and I forget what his name is or who plays him. Um, Vin he, Diesel. He, no. He, but he looks like Conan O'Brien. <laughs> kind of, and he sounds like Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he gets so wrapped up in the paranoia cooked up by the government, and he mm-hmm. works for the government, and then the army comes in and they're like, Settle down, settle down. Yeah. It's not as bad as you think it is. But at the height of it, you know, this height of the Cold War scare is when this movie is, is takes place. Mm-hmm. And it's got this element of 1950s sci-fi. Again, it's the same reason yeah. that I liked Incredibles. It's the art design that drew me in more than anything. That's right. The robot looks like robots did back in the 50s. Yeah. Um, very recently, I saw this uh, this thing on that that PBS is airing some places. That's, that's the War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, done in the like like it was done in the fifties. It's, it's this like weird stage show musical. Right, right. Um, the tripods on it look very modern. They look like they look like Star Trek stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, they look like they're they're clean and they're white and they're polished. Right, and it just doesn't ring true because uh, that is not what crazy Martian technology looked like. Yeah. yeah. Coming from the fifties, and I think from what I've seen, I'm so used to that kind of thing with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and uh, that Illustrated Classics thing. You kind of expect something in the fifties to look like right. it came from the fifties, right? Right. So that is uh, my number three on my list. Uh, Matthew, jumping you down to your number three. I believe it was actually Shooter McGavin. Was that who it who was? was? Who was the voice of the Conan O'Brien looking dude? I don't know. I'd have to look at the IMDb on that. I don't know. The M-Dub. my. My number three is a movie that I cried about, and it is a movie that I actually did share with my mother several years ago, but I was like 17, 18 at the time. Okay. Uh, Watership Down. I was actually introduced to this film about the same time that I was introduced to the concept of film um, (laughs) when my mom got HBO Hmm. in the uh, early 80s. And Watership Down is a very, very well done movie. Uh, It's the story of of a warren of rabbits, or a small warren of rabbits, who end up escaping from their old home just in time to watch it be destroyed and kind of heading for the fictional promised land. And as they go, they meet all sorts of, you know, strange things. They end up interacting with the humans. And of course, the humans are the big the big to-do. But throughout the film, we're given little bits of the rabbit's culture. And one mm-hmm. of the things of their culture is this trickster god, El Ra 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 Ra. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't speak rabbit. 
who, you know, goes through his life and has all these wonderful adventures. And as the film goes on, we hear other rabbits telling stories of El Arara. Ra. Mularam. And these are these are the Mularam. stories that actually happen. These are stories that happen to the characters in the film. So we find that, you know, the rabbit's culture is essentially an oral culture. And right. the stories of El Arara are basically cautionary tales or historical tales of what actually happened to the rabbits. Oh, and cool. It basically focuses on a couple of rabbits. Uh, the main rabbit, Hazel, who goes all the way through the film and, and some of his associates, they end up finding their way to a new home. They find women. They repopulate. You know, they build a whole new place. They have, a, you know. And at the end of the movie, Hazel dies, just mm -hmm. as he does at the end of the book. And, oh, my God, it's devastating. The first time I saw this, it was absolutely devastating to get to the end of this and watch Hazel live out his life and then just die. And I'm like, it's a cartoon rabbit, and yet I'm really touched by this. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I mean, think it's, that's it's something that you can do with animated films that, you know, had they done like a real rabbit and mm -hmm. tried to, you know – Disney eyes, these real rabbits kind of dancing around or something. It probably wouldn't have been as as effective yeah. as in this animated piece. Well, and it, it, the the voice acting. One of the main characters is John Hurt, mm -hmm. and John Hurt has this type of deep British voice that it just sort of tells us he could be talking about going to the restroom and accidentally getting fecal matter on his hands, and it would be very. <laughs> Very dramatic and meaningful. Fantastic. And all of the characters, you know, have these these moments where uh, there's there's a, one of the characters has a big tuft of hair, and they refer to him as Bigwig, and it's a ridiculous name. And you're like, what a ridiculous character. And then he has this badass Wolverine moment about halfway <laughs> through the film, where Bigwig, you know, is literally the coolest rabbit ever. And afterwards, I went and I read the book, and this always, you know, this is my theory. See the movie, then read the book, because right. it's like a DVD extra. Right. And I read, and I got all this depth of, of, of stuff about them, and, you know, why why Hazel's brother Fiverr is named Fiverr? Go ahead, ask me why. Why? Rabbits count to four. Anything over four is a thousand. Ah, nice. The only number they have more than four is rare, a thousand. And so they, his name is Little Thousand or Fiverr because it's the only thing they have that's more than four. It's a fascinating look at the stuff, and it's really well animated. It shows up every once in a while on Cinemax. I saw it not six months ago at like hmm. three in the morning. All right, cool. Nice. Hey, just to follow up, Christopher McDonald was the voice on uh, yeah, Iron Shooter, Giant. Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin. Okay, you're right. Cool. All right, so uh, now we are up into our number twos. And Before we go to number two, can I just oh, say yeah, that I'm uh, about to sneeze? Sure, go ahead. Oh, I didn't do We need to do uh, Rodrigo's number three. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Bless you. Rodrigo, let's do your number three. All right, my number three is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton? Yep. Dark, Halloween, spooky. Halloween, yeah. Awesome. S interesting moral. Stick to your guns. Right. Do what you do, do best. Do what you do best, yeah. Um, which is not a moral that you see Be complacent. Lot. Yeah. Don't don't and, and rock the boat. And it's interesting. And it, and it's funny because it was done well. Did you guys ever see the uh, Crypto, the, the Super Dog cartoon? Yes. Every episode of Crypto, the Super Dog, one of the other characters tries to do something. Tries to... The, the lizard 
Lex Luthor's lizard tries to grow hair. Right. Streaky the cat gets a new superpower. And Crypto goes, oh, I don't know about this. I'm wise, and I think this is a bad idea. And sure enough, it turns out to be a bad idea, and they yeah. should stick to what they're doing. And that's a horrible way of putting it. <laughs> it's like, here's this wonderful so, thing about me. Why does but, it work with uh, Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas? Because Jack Skellington is good at what he does. Because he was trying to find something outside of his home, and what he wanted was in his home all along. Mm. Good, I think, a good summary of that. I, I think so. And um, it's got... Amazing songs, and it's got great characters. The Boogeyman is one of the best animated characters ever because he's a giant sack of bugs, but he's got soul. Yeah. It is is really good. I I remember seeing that, and the girl I was dating at the time just thought it was so... Yeah, she was kind of a religious nut uh, on uh, some level, and she thought it was just a satanic movie. Demonic. And I was like, what are you talking my, about? My mom loves this movie, and her favorite part of the movie is the band Yeah, that that keeps showing up, and, and they start playing Christmas music, and it's all like... <laughs> <laughs> I just like the, I like the music in it. I, I'm yeah. really... A lot of these animated ones I'm really drawn into because of the music. And, uh... People make fun of um, John Williams. Yeah. Um, you know, because he puts that dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun in everything uh, he does. Uh, is it John Williams or is it the guy that does the music for... Um... Ah, crap. You, you may be right. I may I be think, wrong. I think you... I think you hey, we but, but, in this, but in this movie, it totally works. And for years to come, and they're probably still doing this, anytime there's an animated feature with a sense of wonder... For the trailer, they use they use that "What's this" song? Right, right. What's for, this? What's, what's this? Exactly. They that, just use the, the the instrumental part of it. Danny Elfman is who you're thinking. Danny of. Elfman. That's who it is. The guy that does a lot of Tim Burton movies, including the Batman movies. So. It, correct. Um. So it 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 um, it just kind of creates this this really weird atmosphere. All the puppets are creepy, but they're cute. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's just a really strange movie that I I can't think of any movie that approaches it in its weirdness have or, you or seen, duplicates Have you it. seen the uh, Corpse, Bride? Corpse Bride? Yes. And it how does that compare? not nearly as good. I didn't think the so The songs either. are not as catchy. The plot is not as good. The characters aren't as relatable, despite the fact that most of them are human. Mm-hmm. It, it's just not, not as interesting a movie. Okay, cool. And Monkey Bone sucks. <laughs> All right, which, bring, which brings us to the number two. And my number two on the list, I want to do a little bit of a setup. It's a Disney film. Uh, but in order to really, for me to really appreciate what happened with this film, one kind of has to look what happened to the Disney franchise in, from about late 70s, 79 to about through the 80s. Through the 80s. Yeah. And it was corporate greed. And to the point where Disney was floundering, there were barely any nine old men left who had created some of the greatest Disney movies up until that point who were the leads on that. And except for Frank and Ollie, everyone else had gone. And so you really had a new batch of animators coming in, some of them like Tim Burton, uh, who were doing some fantastic work, but the movies just didn't have that little charm mm-hmm. that uh, that audiences expected. The live-action movie, I'm sorry, I know there are fans of Tron and the Black Hole out there, but those two movies really kind of killed the big movie yeah. franchise for Disney. Uh, and so in the 80s, most people, if, if you remember your business, there was a lot of corporate takeovers left and right. And the wolves Reaganomics. Were, yeah. The wolves were really at the gates of Disney, and if you want to, if you want to read an excellent book on on what happened during this time period, it's called uh, "Storming the Magic Kingdom," about how corporate greed almost caused this mega giant company 
to fall and collapse. There was a point where, and this is like a midnight deal, they were going to sell off the animation studios to some company in, in Europe. The theme park franchise was going to go to Japan. And the movie franchise, I think, was going to go to Paramount or something like that. Wow. They were just going to hack and slash and sell this out. And Roy Disney, uh, Roy E. Disney, I think, mm-hmm. or Roy O. Disney, I forget which one. But he's the nephew of Walt Disney. And he came forward and he said he was begging people left and right saying, please, 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 please don't do this. And he had a chance meeting with Michael Eisner mm-hmm. and Jeffrey Katzenberg. And those two came in and they were able to rally and they were able to save uh, the Disney Corporation. And so during this time... Uh, Michael Eisner started doing the Disney Sunday night movies again. They started rebuilding up the movie franchise. They started splitting off Touchstone Pictures, which gave a splash, and Tom Hanks and uh, Ron Howard as big-name Hollywood people at this time. And Jeffrey Katzenberg said, you know what? Let me have the animation studio. And he was to the point where he almost shut it down, too. The Black Cauldron had just yeah. about come, had was just about to be released, and he looked at this and said you know what, this movie sucks so hard, I need to edit it, and physically went in and cut the film, and it was something that had not really ever been done with a Disney movie before, mm-hmm. because all that stuff had been done before the animation part yeah. was taken care of, and he really stepped in and did this, and people were like, what the F are you doing? And Roy Disney again came to him and said, look, we need to figure out some way of saving the studio, saving the animation arm of the studio, because Black Cauldron almost bankrupted the studio. He said, let's go back to our roots. Let's tell really, really good stories uh, that we are known for. The Snow Whites, the Cinderella's, the Sleeping Beauties. My uncle has had this, this, the rights to Hans Christian Andersen's Little Mermaid sitting on the shelf for 50 years. Mm-hmm. It's a film he's always wanted to make. Let me be one of the producers on this, on this movie. And so they got a couple other people. They had Ron Clements and John Musker who would come in to be... Uh, movie Disney animation directing powerhouses all throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, and they got Howard Ashman and who was it? Alan, Alan Menken Quarter. to come in. Yeah, not Alan Quartermain. Um, we call it the dog. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they had them come in and say, we want you to write this music. And they took a lot of chances with this. They went back to the roots. They were like, we're hand drawing this stuff. We are taking all the care in the world to bring this movie and taking some of the ideas that Walt had done 50 years before and said, let's turn this into this Little Mermaid feature. And this was released around Christmas of 1989. I was returning from college at that time, and a friend from college, she was like, oh, let's go see a movie. Let's go see this Little Mermaid movie. And was was just, it Cricket? No, it, this is a friend from high school. It was Cricket, wasn't it? No, it was a friend from high school, Anita. And she said, let's Anita go see this Van? movie. And... <laughs> <laughs> she might be listening, but yes. Uh, but she's like, let's go see this movie. And I was like, okay, it's a Disney movie. I, you it know, I kind cricket. of, I like Disney stuff. So let's go, let's go see this film. And I was just blown away because, you know, you look at the Black Cauldron or you look at the Rescuers Down Under, or not Rescuers Down Under, but the Rescuers, you look at some of the, the Aristocrats, Cats, they yeah, did correct. not have the animation chops, the music, or the editing, or the storytelling. And so all the movies that I kind of grew up with in re-releases were shit compared to The Little Mermaid. And we both walked out of that theater, and we were singing every single song from that movie all the way home. I rarely, at that time, would buy movies on VHS. I had bought uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I had Who Framed Roger Rabbit. When this movie hit on VHS, this was uh, this was a must-have movie for me. Mm-hmm. It's this... It's did the you class- get the copy that had the penis drawn in the cover? Yes, I did. And it was really kind of funny because when that came out on VHS, I was actually working for Disney. 
uh, down there in, in Florida, and it was a big deal because they had all this art and all this displays up. And then somebody said one day, uh, they're getting ready to take down all the art because there's a penis in the cover. And I'm like, what? And everybody would rush, and all the Disney employees that were off-duty would go into the stores that had all this Little Mermaid stuff, and we'd all be standing around looking at the poster going, yep, there it is, right there. And uh, Little Mermaid is an awesome movie. Uh, and I really think it all has to do with, like I said before, with the music, with um, Alan Minken and Howard Ashman. Mm-hmm. Just a duo that works so well together, not only in Little Mermaid, but also in Beauty and the Beast and my number one movie. And then I forget which one, was it Minken or uh, Ashman? One of them died, and it was replaced by um, Piano, not Piano Man, um, Elton, John. Elton John in The Lion King. And to mm-hmm. me, that's kind of, there was this period where the resurgence of Disney movies owe, it, owe themselves all to The Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. That was the point where Disney realized, hey, from this point on, Every year we're going to release an animated movie. And they kind of fell from the wagon after they got rid of Katzenberg and Eisner to the point where a few years ago they said that, uh, what was the an- not Animal Farm, but their Sky is Falling movie, whatever it was. Oh, was, Chicken Little? No, 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 Chicken Little. It was something with cows on the farm. Oh, Home on the Range. Home on the Range. They said this was going to be our last hand-drawn animated feature ever, and they made a big to-do of it. And the their 3D is stuff, 3D. Their 3D stuff flopped. And it so did. now what are they doing? Massively. They're bringing back... Princess and the Frog, and they're returning to their roots again. And I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that this movie is as good as The Little Mermaid was back in 1989. So that's my long drawn out number two, which kind of answers a little bit more on my number six, Beauty and the Beast, and my number one coming up in, in just a moment. Matthew, number you know two that for in you. the original tale, she was horribly tortured oh, by her yes, feet. Yes, yes, Anytime she walked on her feet, it was like walking on knives, and she bled like a stuck pig. Yes. But this one's Speaking much better. This one, pigs, this one is happy a, and, and, and doesn't have any spiders, but it does have a cute... Pigs. cute. Uh, Why don't you step on all my segues? <laughs> what are you doing? Speaking of stuck pigs... <laughs> I know. God, that's funny. Involves a pig and a stick. Sort of. Shut up. <laughs> my number two is another movie that I remember from my actual childhood. Okay. Uh, Charlotte's Web... I remember this one, too. Yes, it was absolutely a fascinating movie because, well, first of all, again, it's from that same period when I was a kid, the early 70s. The reason that I remember it is that Uncle Arthur from Bewitched is the voice of the rat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Paul Lynn. Templ- yep. Templeton the rat. Um, my daughter, actually, and this is this is something that's, you know, just for me. I, I make a point of trying to recognize voices and everything and going, oh, you know, that's Frank Welker and that's right, right. some guy named Eddie. My daughter informed me that she heard a, a, a Paul Lind voiceover on uh, Penelope Pitstop where he played the Hooded Claw. And she informed me that that boy is voiced by Templeton the Rat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that she's good. four at the time, five now. Um, but it, this is a very touching film. It's a very difficult film to watch in some ways. Yeah, and I realized so that all of, the, all the stories of my childhood are filled with these terrible, you know, horrible things and death or the implications of death. Yeah. But it starts out with Wilbur, who is a runt pig about to be killed. He's adopted by Fern, uh, the farmer's daughter, who, you know, basically treats him as a pampered little pet. Eventually he grows up and he's about to be sold for slaughter. When one of his friends, a spider named Charlotte, spins a web that says some pig. 
Well, that's something. And everybody, everybody's like, oh, well, there must be something about the pig. And I'm like, what about the spider, folks? <laughs> that's what I don't understand about that whole movie is everyone thinks what? it's it's Wilbur about? that's doing this. Yeah. And throughout the film, of course, you know, it saves Wilbur's life several times. They end up going to the fair where Charlotte reveals that she's going to die because she's a spider. And she only lives for like a year. And there's this weird moment where Charlotte, who is voiced by like um, Debbie Reynolds, I think. Um, Charlotte is talking about how she's going to die and how good it's going to be to die. But it's okay because she has something, you know, for just such an emergency. Then we find out to be this sack of carnivorous spider <laughs> eggs. <laughs> it would have been more awesome if she had like laid them in Wilbur's brain, but it was interesting. And of course, you know, the film has this little sad ending where all the little spider babies float away except for three. Right. Who stay with Wilbur and become his new best friends. And of course, they're going to die in a year anyway. Right. But basically, it, it, it's a story of Charlotte using her everything in her power to save her friend's life, even though he's just some schmucky little pig. Yeah. But it's really, the movie version of it is really interesting. It kind of reminds me of uh, The Waltons. Because it has that homey, down-home kind of narration. Yeah. Wilbur was a pig, and then he had four he four hooves and a tail. That's what pigs had, dot, dot, dot. But I, I love the tone of it. I love the animation. It's a little limited. I mean, it's not like the greatest animation in the world. It's not like full frame by any means. Right. But it's fascinating to look at, and the characters are so well done. Wilbur is voiced by Henry Gibson from Laugh-In. Mm -hmm. And his whiny, what am I going to do I voice? I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's uh, all the way through it. It's emotionally engaging. And when I was a kid, I remember being fascinated by this. When I finally started watching it again as an adult, it still holds up. Molly and I watched it. She likes the sequel better. I think the sequel has Wilbur grabbing a gun or some such. <laughs> but she also likes the new Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory better uh, than the real one. Poor well, Sarah. there's no account for taste. <laughs> She's five. What does she know? <laughs> you know, I, I like, if I remember correctly, Charlotte's Web was kind of told from that viewpoint or that eye level of the farm animals. Very rarely did oh. you see, yep. you only saw like the legs of the humans except for Fern. Right. Uh, Fern Fern was in it as a character because Fern got down to the animal's level and right. talked to Wilbur. Right. But all the farmers and the fathers, figures, all those authority people were way up above. You only saw like up to their hips or waist or something or a hand yeah. here and there, but you never saw faces in there. Mm -hmm. And they have that great, great musical moment equal to anything they in The Little Mermaid <laughs> where Paul Lind is Templeton the Rat at the fair. Yeah. Singing about how the fair is a virtual smorgasbord, orgasbord, yeah. orgasbord, and just eating all the filth and refuse he can find until he can barely move. It is so awesome. I love that whole sequence. And there's actually a little bit of science in there in the end when all the little uh, spiders are flying away. They talk about ballooning and how that's what spiders do. They send out their thread and they float away. Nice. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, number two for you. Number two for me. I didn't mean to Dude. poop on you when I was talking about the three greatest Disney films of all time ended with this next movie. but Well, no, you're right. But I think this this movie was kind of the apogee of that. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Lion King um, was, you know, The Little Mermaid was first, and it's what really just kick-started everything. Right. Um, then there was another movie. Beauty and the Beast. Right. right. Which, you know, it, it really brought all those... Uh, um, 3d elements in mm -hmm. um 
And then somebody said, you know what it's missing? Fart jokes. <laughs> you get to the Lion King, and the Lion King, is I feel, was even more ambitious than, than right. Beauty oh, yeah, and the Beast in a lot of ways. Um, it is a it, it has acts. Right. Um, and they're very defined acts. And they're very defined yeah. acts. I mean, it's it's Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Kimba. It's it's Kimba and and there was a huge there was, there was a, a huge deal, deal about that yeah, like yeah, they are just ripping off Kimba the White Lion and all that stuff and I was like I remember like no there was a kid in that yeah, wasn't there I think so so it couldn't have been right I don't anyway, know. never saw it never saw um, it. Simba lays down and the word sex appears uh, yeah, in, yeah, the the, in the leaves in the leaves or in the clouds yeah <laughs> but it's it's great just like in uh, the Little Mermaid. The music is fantastic. It's yeah. it's it's a great example of what Disney has kind of always done, which is to go back to quote unquote the source material because this was basically a lot of yeah. new stuff. Yeah. But going to Africa, um, f- getting a lot of African influenced music in mm-hmm. there, um, in a way that is not condescending or obvious right, right. or or anything like that. You know, not like China, like you know that that horrible stuff that we see so much in Mulan. Are you mocking Kung Fu Panda? <laughs> Skadoosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What sold me on this movie is I really was not. I was like Lion King. What's the f, f is gonna this yeah. gonna be about? And then in that the is theater, not a story. The trailer they showed the whole opening musical number as the trailer to the movie, and I was just like, the first time I saw it, the audience broke out in applause. It's 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 amazing. The first time you see that, and especially if you saw it in the theaters, which I did, which which I I feel I was I was lucky. Um, cause again, we didn't go to the movies mm-hmm. very often, but, uh, mm-hmm. my, my parents and my grandma took me to, took us to see it. Um, and that, that initial just, mm-hmm. you know, it just pulls you in so hard immediately, you know, all the animals, all this crazy stuff going on. They present Z- Simba. It, it just, um, it, it takes what the little mermaid started and, and even some of the bad things that. That, right. The things that eventually became the bad things. Right, right. Like the hilarious animal sidekicks and right. things like that. And at this point, they still had a personality. They still had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, the Lion King was the top of the roller coaster or, you know, the, the yeah, probably yeah. the exciting fall down the roller coaster right. before we got to really the... Uh, the bronze age yeah. of, of what Disney became, or the silver, the second silver, silver age, age of yeah. Disney. And so for Disney though, what, what this represented was a really let's blend as much 3d into mm-hmm. this movie as we can, because in both Aladdin and beauty and the beast, it, there was a big noticeable difference between the 2d elements and the 3d elements yeah. in the movie. It's like, Oh, we're in a 3d scene. now, Right. When we get to the lion King and there's the stampede of the water Buffalo or the wildebeest or whatever they are. That's total 3D. That was one of the first crowd animation things that had ever been done. Mm-hmm. And it, they pulled it off so seamlessly. It was great. Yeah. I'm not sure it's a, a movie for kids because, you know, the whole death of, of the king. Well, it is. And if you look I mean, at, you, if you look you look at, at Matthew's at, movies, right, largely, because right. Matthew is old, um, <laughs> there used to be this sense that it's okay. Not only is it okay to have death in a movie, yeah. it's okay to base a movie for children right. around death. Death is a well, basic Bambi part worked. of life. Bambi yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and, and it's something my, that's my been... daughter loves this film, and one of the things that she loves about it is the strength of the characters. If you want to send Molly off on a seven-minute jag, just walk up to her and go, "When I was a young warthog, <laughs> when I was a young and, warthog," and she will <laughs> she will sing for like five minutes. One of her favorite things to do is just scream at the top of her lungs, "When I was a young warthog." <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a cold, by the way. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, I, I said for me personally, this I felt was the the final hump before mm-hmm. we started into the downward spiral of Disney kind of falling <laughs> off the wagon and Pixar kind of keeping them afloat. And it's always good afloat. to have a final hump. Um, <laughs> and what a hump it was. But, you know, this is actually one of the more successful Disney animated films, Absolutely. one of the biggest moneymakers. And it spun off to, you know, a Broadway musical. It spun off to The Lion King 2, 3, 4, Timon and Pumbaa's Great Adventure, yeah. uh, Lion Don't forget King, the Lion one, King and a half. one and a half. Yeah. Yep. And, and, again, some of the things that were done well, uh, this was more so than the other ones. This had a star-studded cast. Oh yeah, it did. It, you know Matthew Broder- Matthew Broderick as old right. as older Simba, um, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, yeah. Nathan Lane, um, John- Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, yeah, who was in, big. In, at his highest yeah. point, yeah, uh, to a large degree, and um, that that scary guy, the the, the scar, what's his face, <laughs> Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Irons, Irons. Yeah, Jeremy yeah. Irons as a very very convincing. Evil Lion. Yes. What was his name also Scar? Yes, Scar. Yeah. <laughs> Scar. Um, Too many Scars. Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin. Yeah. And at that point, it didn't feel like stunt casting. It was the next logical level. Right. After that, it really got into the point where it was like, uh, how about Mel Gibson? Mel right. Gibson and Pocahontas. Like, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So those are our number twos. Before we get into each of our number ones, let's wrap up with Brian and Marlo's top five. If that is his, his real, real name. name. Uh, for Brian, let's see. What did we – we said Iron Giant was his number five. Toy Story 2, surprisingly, at number four. Great movie. It is. Sleeping Beauty at number three, which I – if you guys get it on the Blu-ray, holy crap, that thing looks spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, Gotham Knights. And number one for him, Heavy Metal. Wow. <laughs> Marlo on his list, Matthew. Marlo's number four is one that we haven't touched on yet, Toy Story. Which was the Little Mermaid to Pixar, right? In a way. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, number three, Shrek. Mm-hmm. Also a good one. One that was, I, I think, a little bit marred by the voice work. But what are you going to do? Number two, Snow White, which is an unusual choice for me. I did not necessarily care for the Disney version of Snow White, but and his number one, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Stephen went over that earlier. Very transformative moment, yeah. for animated movies. And, and Marlowe didn't give any reasonings for this, but he may have put Snow White on there simply because it was this first feature-length animated yeah, first, movie. It was the first. It was the possible. one that proved that it could be done, right? And, and that people would watch it, and that people could get so engrossed in it. There are stories that when this uh, first played at Radio City Music Hall, that by the end of its run, they had to rip out half of the seats in Radio Music Hall because kids had wet themselves watching the queen turn into the wicked witch nice. and just freak kids out that they wet themselves right there on the seats so all right let's bring us down to our number ones uh for me number one number one number one number one if you followed my beauty and the beast and my little mermaid uh if we're talking about rant the, the, the like, trifecta hmm, there we brought up yeah, we brought, we're, we're missing Little one. Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> something, and, and then the Lion, and the Lion King. King. The gap is filled by my favorite movie of all time, Aladdin. Not just because of Robin Williams uh, doing the the voice mm-hmm. of the genie, but just the whole story of again, you need to be yourself. You don't have to try to pretend to be somebody else. This whole magical, I mean, just this magical event that goes on. Um, there was a girl that I was really, really into at the time, and she was a lot cricket? like... No. It, it was Cricket, no, wasn't it? you are totally wrong. She <laughs> looked a heck of a lot like Jasmine. Mm-hmm. It was and, Cricket. No, you're wrong. Please. Was, was a it red, Billy? A redhead Irish girl. It was Billy, wasn't it? No. I, I don't even know what you were doing at the time. 
But, but let's just say she was from New Mexico. What was her name? Oh, man. Slips in my mind. <laughs> Slips in my mind at the moment. This girl, she, uh, oh, she oh, changed um, my life. What uh, was her name? <laughs> we will I call love her... you. What's your name? <laughs> we will call her Blah Blah. We will call and her... someday the name Blah Blah will be in lights. <laughs> we will call her unnamed Hispanic girl number one. Uh, but <laughs> we went out of our way when this movie opened. We drove all the way down to Wichita, which is, you know, it's a good two and a half hour trip mm-hmm. just to go see this movie. Which in Kansas, that's like four hours in dog years. Yes. Believe me. <laughs> uh, and I bet during that holiday break. It was cricket, wasn't it? No, God damn it, it was God not. It. Let him finish the story. I went to the theater every day at the matinee, literally every day for a week at the matinee and nice. sat there and watched the film. And the best part was a lot of the time at our at this Fox Theater that we had, the afternoon matinee there were like less than 10 people in there. So it was mm-hmm. like I was getting to see the movie by myself without interruption again nice. and again and again. Uh, I still love it. Uh, Aladdin, my number one pick. Matthew, you're going to go for something quite a bit different for your number one. I am. Um, and I chose it simply because it is the animated film that had the largest impact on me. Uh, heavy Metal is my number one choice. Because and of before- the... Uh, the the car burning up in the atmosphere scene Partly, or the booby scene well or the uh, other it was i didn't get exposed to it until college so it was about a seven eight year old film at that point in time yeah. and cinemax ran they did a whole movie of just or a whole month of these weird outre movies yeah and heavy metal was one of the movies that they played incessantly so i taped it yeah now I, you can't sue me for that i think i borrowed i think i borrowed it from you in fact I, and probably didn't give it back you no I, I did but the I whole movie is so experimental. And even though it doesn't necessarily hold up as a whole, it holds up for what it is. You can look at it and you can say, well, that's obviously rotoscoped. You know, right. that's, that's drawn over a girl walking. But it was so well drawn. And yeah. even, you know, even the, the puerile elements of it, the boobies and the snot and the fart jokes and, you know, the bit where the robot is, is basically talking about being a human vibrator and the girl is tee Yeah. Even that stuff is at least pure. You know, and I remember being in college and we would incessantly reference this movie. Uh, the scene where Hanover Fist is is uh, flipping out. Yeah. Hanover Fist, that became my state. He's nothing but a low-down, backstabbing, double-dealing, lying, perverted worm. Burning's too good for him. Hanging's too good for him. He should be torn into itty-bitty pieces and buried alive. I haven't seen the film in like six years, and I can still do that right off the top of my head. My favorite segment was the Captain Stern bits. I just like that. The Captain Stern bit was wonderful. The The zombie portion, B-29. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cre- is creepy. scary as hell. I, I bought this was, movie, uh, that was my, and I had seen it favorite. hundreds of times, and I bought it, and I watched it. The TBS won't air it. Oh, I'm sure. They cut, out, they cut out the boobies. They cut out the bits. But they cut the B-29 sequence more than they do the sequence with the topless girl. Mm-hmm. They chop the snot out of it because it's just so visually striking and creepy. And I'm sitting in a dark house with the door open right now, and I'm getting a little creeped oh, out. Remember, burns. Burns. Uh, I remember when I was a young kid, my family was all about doing these big family reunions. My dad comes from a huge family, like seven or eight kids. And each of them have like seven or eight kids. 
And I remember and they, they'll have seven or eight kids, and probably. so on. I think and so I think on. one of them I know has five kids already. Nice. Um, you, you, but need I, get, you need to hurry up there, no, Steve. No, screw that. One's enough. Uh, <laughs> nope. But I remember You're, they came. The older the older kids came, and they were talking about this movie. That's like, man, there's this man walking around with his dick hanging out, and and he's talking about the oh my god, look at the size of my dick. And you know, this and I was like, what is this movie? Yeah. And then I remember going to the drive-in like later that summer. And it was playing at the drive-in, and of course, you know, the way our drive-in was is a double drive-in where one way you face, you get to see one feature, and you face the other way, and you can see the other feature. And so we were facing, I forget, we were probably seeing some Disney movie of some kind, but I remember flipping back and looking out the rear window, and I could see heavy metal playing on the the screen. I was like, oh, this is that thing that they were talking about. And every time I do it, David, turn around and watch the movie. (laughs) I'll get yelled at, because they knew what was going on back there. But yeah, it wasn't until college, about 10 years later. That I got to see heavy metal, and it's I mean it's it's one of those movies that I, I'm kind of embarrassed by by the the you know point and laugh sexual aspects of it, but there's still moments of it that are just badass. The moment where the uh, the two guys are in the smiley face ship yeah. and they get really plowed on yeah, on Teutonium Nibor, man, and they're having the discussion of how are they going to get the ship. Don't worry, man. If there's one thing I know how to do, it's drive when I'm high. You just <laughs> you know your perspective is fucked. You just let your hands move the controls as if you were straight. And they crash. And it's this five minute sequence of this <laughs> horrific crash where they come to a stop at like the last second before killing everything in a twelve mile radius. And the ship is just like <laughs> And they cut to them and they're like, See, I told you, man. <laughs> The the Captain Stern stuff. I guess I it's been so long since I've seen this movie. I didn't realize Eugene Levy did the voice of Lincoln Stern. Yeah. Uh, John Vernon was the prosecuting lawyer. Yeah, Dean uh, Vernon and Joe Joe Flaherty. Blah blah. Kids was the rat faced lawyer in that bit. Yeah. And um, John Candy was Den. Yeah. In the Den the de- sequences. Well, so that that was um, the detective story, right? No, Den was, oh, the, the, kid yeah, who was the kid that was transformed. The one gets with the, the giant penis. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at my dork. <laughs> no way, I'm going to walk around with my dork hanging out. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's man. it's a very Canadian movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh. All right, Rodrigo, you're wrapping us up on the show this week or this weekend. Rodrigo's number one movie. My number, number one, one number movie. One, number one, number one. Right now, at this very moment, because yes. it could change next week um, or is, before the show ends. Yes. <laughs> Because I've heard some great, great uh, things being said about a lot of great animated movies. Still don't like El Dorado that much. Um, <laughs> That's fine. My favorite movie, uh, animated movie, is Read or Die. No idea what. No idea about this. It's, movie. It's, I got it's, nothing. It's Japanese. It's animated. Oh, I think we talked about this before. We have talked about it before. Okay. Um, did we talk about it on the show or was it? Yeah, we okay, did. I during think the when, anime when we, episode? When we were either during the anime episode or during our like straight up favorite movies, I yeah. think I, I may have brought okay. it up. Okay, all right. Um, it is, and, and, and I'll throw in some, some spoilers into this. It is a movie about a secret like trans-governmental organization, kind of like Interpol, mm-hmm. where 
the agents have powers, but they're weird powers. The main character is called Agent Paper, and her ability is that she can turn, essentially have paper do whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. She carries a giant suitcase basically full of post-its, which she uses as like shuriken and to stop bullets and to do all kinds of ridiculous stuff. She fights one of the final battles by taking a bunch of bills out of somebody's wallet and turning it into a sword. Oh, cool. Um, the, The whole thing revolves around this guy reanimate or cloning these famous people from throughout history Mm -hmm. to build an army so that he can have uh who wrote ode to joy um um, um, beethoven beethoven so that he could have evil beethoven evil clone beethoven write this horrible symphony that when people hear it they will want to commit suicide and the final battle is you know this rocket shooting into space playing like the suicide symphony over the entire world while the two heroines are essentially trying to stop um, this this evil clone army from succeeding. Suddenly, the Umbrella Academy plot kind of makes sense it, now. Yeah. And, yeah, the, the paper did it first. Yeah. Um, it is ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's psychotically fun. Just all the crazy stuff. Again, sort of like the thing in Monster Sync where... They squeezed every last possibility out of those doors. Right. They squeezed every last possibility out of out of the paper and the paper's powers. Um, and it just creates this really crazy movie. Um, it's got some awesome lesbian undertones. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, doesn't everything good? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Go back and watch Toy Story 3 again. <laughs> Don't. Did you say that it, it had a weird kind of, like, it ends and then the movie continues for, like, another hour or something? Am I thinking um, of a different movie where, like... I think you're thinking of a different movie. Okay. All right. Um, Maybe I'm thinking of an animated series or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. But no, read or die. Uh, go... If you can find it, pick it up. Uh, the, the, the movie, not the series. I haven't seen the series. The series might be good. Um, but it's... And don't expect a a fantastic, completely coherent plot. Expect a lot of awesome action sequences Mm -hmm. and a plot that stands on its own just because of how insane it is. Cool. Well, I find it interesting that on our list we all kind of have some movies that everybody has on their list or that pop up multiple times on the list. And I'm I'm looking at the uh, Majorspoilers.com website and we've got uh, Cardboard Monocle. Um, Eric over at Cardboard Monocle, he's got Toy Story 2, My Neighbor Totoro, The Incredibles. Alan Jones has Batman, The Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, Phil has Transformers, The Movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Ma- Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Monsters, Inc. Uh, Iron Giant, Batman, Monsters, Inc., Incredibles, Spirited Away, Beauty and the Beast, Nightmare Before Christmas, Castle in the Sky, Porco Rosso, Up, Grave of the Fireflies, and the list goes on and on. Oh, Life's Grave a Glitch. That is such a depressing oh, movie. Oh, Good man. lord. That's one I watched once and put away yeah, on the shelf I, and I'm said not, never, never I'm again. Not, unless a very attractive woman asks me to see it with her, I'm yeah. probably not going to see it again. Yeah, unless she's really into children dying, then uh, you probably ought to stay away from that girl. Yeah. Life's a Glitch, says Iron Giant, My Neighbor Totoro, The Incredibles, The Lion King, South Park. Um, who else do we have? Bruce loves The Incredibles, Nightmare Before Christmas, Howl's Moving Castle, South Park Movie. Porco Rosso, Incredibles. Let's see. Finally, DMC says, my favorites are The Incredibles, Karis the Prophecy, Treasure Planet, Mulan, Hercules, 
Uh, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, which was okay. Advent Children also has fantastic fights. It does. But no plot. Of the two, yeah. No plot whatsoever. I would have, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within almost made it on my list. Hmm. Just because of the realism and the uncanny valley aspect of it. Uh, Hunter Dan says, um, Transformers the movie, G.I. Joe Thundercats, uh, those were, let's see. He really goes on to talk more about Transformers the movie. So it seems like there's a a list that we could build. There's some kind of connection. I, I mentioned before uh, uh, Seven Degrees of Kevin, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. It almost seems like there could be yeah, you could, Six you Degrees could of from Movies. Any one of our lists yeah. to the other through at least one movie. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew, any final thoughts? I like pie. All right, then let's go have some pie. Pie is a great movie, but it's not animated. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this bonus episode or bonus this bonus episode. issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. Please head over to the website, head over to the forums, masterfully run by Rodrigo, uh, unless it's me who is uh, accidentally banishes some people that have uh, funny-looking <laughs> email addresses to which I get, F you guys, if you're not going to accept me. Well, use your real name if you're going to sign up for the forum. Use your real name. That's going to be a lot easier than sickle cell number 123 yeah. at medtech.com. Okay? Well, uh, that's and, just and, a, that's and just your username tip. helps, too. Yes. Stop, stop signing up as Kim Kardashian nude. Y- yes, and if you do get... Trash. If you get the notice that says, I'm sorry, your application was rejected, just send us an email. Yeah. We'll say, hey, apply again and we'll approve you because then we know that you're a real person. And and we do that just to keep just massive waves of spam off. Yeah. The and a lot of it is nasty Cause, porn. Cause and you don't want to see like all that horrible incest. Yes. Like, <laughs> uh, like kitty porn crap. Yes. Ugh. You don't want to see that. And we don't want it on our site because we don't want to be responsible when the government calls a knock in. And we don't want to have to say, hey, I don't know why Matthew is using, using Christy Canyon as his avatar. Go talk to him. <laughs> that's not Christy Canyon, first of all. <laughs> I'll have you know that's Penny Flame. All right. Penny Flame as his avatar. I, just, I don't know any of the white porn stars. I just know the <laughs> you only know the Asians. <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, everybody. We will be back on Tuesday with another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will see you then. You ain't never had a friend like me. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at MySpace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little meat would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler 
I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the middle east with a king santo and soldier. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Yeah, yeah, yeah! What a major spoiler! Whoa, 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 whoa! What a major spoiler! Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.